0: Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at CorridorVein and CorridorAesthetics.com.
1: It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Well, we're all getting older. Are you anxious about it? Well, later this hour, we'll explore new research from Iowa State University showing that having a positive attitude about physical activity is related to lower anxiety about aging. But first, from time to time, we like to check in with the presidents of Iowa's colleges and universities, and today, uh, we're delighted to have with us live Iowa State University President Wendy Winterstein. Welcome to our program. Thank you.
2: It's a pleasure to be here, Ben.
1: President Winterstein is the first female to serve in that office at ISU. She's uh, been in that office since 2017. And listeners, join us with your questions for President Winterstein. Uh, She'll be with us the next uh, half hour, 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100. Or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. President Winterstein, last Thursday, the Iowa State University College Democrats, formally disaffiliated with the Iowa Democratic Party, uh, came after party officials called for the resignation of three university Democrats uh, who signed a letter at Iowa in part stating, we shamelessly and fully support Palestine. According to the news release from the Iowa State University College Democrats, the decision was made to maintain autonomy and because of the party's treatment of the University of Iowa Democrats. I wonder, um, with, with the college Democrats there at ISU, are they affiliated with the Democratic Party? What are the rules? Can they disaffiliate themselves from the Iowa Democratic Party?
2: Well, Ben, at Iowa State, we, we support free speech, as stated in the First Amendment. And, and in this particular case, the Iowa State University College Democrats have expressed themselves and supported the University of Iowa University Democrats by disaffiliating themselves from the state Democratic Party. And they have the capacity to do that. Uh, I think this is an issue that needs to be resolved by these three organizations.
1: Hmm. What uh, other specific concerns do you have about pro-Palestinian protests or statements and support uh, at uh, Regents' universities when passions run very high about the Middle East war?
2: At Iowa State University, we've taken the approach that we need to care about our students. We have students from more than 114 countries, so we decided to work with the students from the affected uh, region to reach out to them and be sure they understood the resources that we had to offer them to support them. Uh, If they were having trouble coping with the current situation, what what did they need? Uh, What resources could we make available to them? We thought it was really critically important that we supported them, and that's the approach that we've taken at Iowa State University. Mm
1: -hmm. Are you concerned at all about how the Republican controlled legislature will view these protests?
2: When I think about Iowa State University, we haven't really seen protests. Now, we've had a gathering of our Jewish students, a gathering of our Muslim students, but I wouldn't characterize them as protests. Mm
1: Let's talk about uh, DEI at Iowa State University, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, This refers to organizational frameworks uh, seeking to promote fair treatment, full participation of all people, particularly groups who have been historically underrepresented or subject to discrimination on the basis of their identity or disability. Now, the Iowa legislature has called for the Board of Regents, the governing body of the public universities, to complete a comprehensive study of DEI programs at the public universities. It's a measure that also puts a freeze on hiring for DEI work at the universities while the study is conducted. ISU's Graduate and Professional Student Senate has been working on what they say uh, had hoped to be a a joint resolution in support of current DEI efforts at Regent Universities. Um, And uh, how important our DEI efforts to fulfilling ISU's educational mission?
2: Since the doors at Iowa State University opened, we have welcomed everybody. Uh, it's been a very important part of Iowa State University. Uh, back in 1869, the first president of our Board of Trustees, as they were called there then, uh, said that Iowa State would be open to every student regardless of. Uh, race, gender, or socioeconomic status, and and that's what we've lived ever since then, and that's what we'll continue to do into the future. So so that's our commitment to our students. Uh, That's how we'll continue uh, to be as we go forward. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, The Student Senate anticipating a discussion of DEI—I'm not sure if it's on the agenda— at the Board of Regents meeting uh, coming up in a a few days, November 15th and 16th. Are you anticipating action by the Regents on DEI efforts at that upcoming meeting?
2: Well, we know that we'll see a public docket released, I think, tomorrow, and that that will answer the question of what will be on the agenda. Uh, There is, I think, an expectation that a report is due Uh, to the governor and to the legislature by by December 1st if I'm recalling uh, that correctly and so you might expect then given that deadline that it would be on the docket for the November Board of Regents meeting. Mm -hmm.
1: What action are you anticipating in this regard?
2: You know I don't think I could answer that question. I I need to see the uh, report and the recommendations that will be uh, presented and discussed at the board meeting.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Other states, uh, Florida for instance, have been successful in banning spending on DEI efforts. Here in Iowa there's a freeze while this study uh, is conducted. Are you concerned that would happen in Iowa? And if it did, how would uh, your university work to ensure access to traditionally underrepresented students?
2: Ben, i just am not comfortable talking about a hypothetical situation uh, given the deadline that's coming up for the board of regents to respond uh, uh, to, to having the report due to the governor and the legislature i think we need to wait and see uh, wait and see what what the recommendations are going to be and, and 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 then have a conver- you know then everyone can have a conversation
1: mhm um well, on the topic of flo- what's happening in Florida, um, and we've seen that policies that originate in Florida often migrate north uh, to our state house, uh, F- Governor DeSantis signed a bill bans- that bans teaching uh, that system- systemic racism, sexism, oppression, and a privilege are inherent in government systems, at least in general education courses. Are you concerned at all about efforts to rein in teaching about discrimination? as a part of overall college education?
2: You know, one thing that I am very committed to is our students. As I said a moment ago, we're going to welcome everyone to Iowa State University and we're going to have a curriculum that is going to cover the necessary topics that you'd expect to see at an institution of higher education. And so, Uh, I think that we will address uh, any of the issues that need to be addressed in the courses, in the majors that we cover at Iowa State University. So we are going to be sure that our students are culturally competent so that they can enter the workforce prepared uh, to do the job that we've trained them for. Uh, So we have a set of broad topics that are covered in the many, many different Uh, majors that students study here at Iowa State.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, What are you hearing in this area from your faculty? How much concern is there?
2: The faculty, of course, feel strongly about how they want to support all of our students and have a welcoming and inclusive environment at Iowa State University. And we've encouraged them uh, to do as we have done, and that is wait and see what the report is going to be that's coming out. So uh, that's what what my response would be, Ben. But we're close to the time when the report is due. So so let's see what the report is and how we're all going to move forward here.
1: Mm-hmm. My guest uh, live this first portion of the program, President Wendy Winterstein of Iowa State University, join us with your questions either. Uh, via, via phone one eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred one eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred or email river to river at iowapublicradio.org. dot org. Jack is joining us from Des Moines. Welcome uh, to the program, Jack. You're on the air with President Winterstein.
3: Good morning, Madam President. I want to thank you for your excellent stewardship at Iowa State. I think you have been an outstanding leader. I do have concerns, however, about the area between the football facility and C.Y. Stevens and Hilton Coliseum being developed as it is for commercial and uh, housing purposes. And apparently, uh, Athletic Director Pollard uh, believes that uh, this can be a uh, self-financing uh, effort not only for its own purposes, but will also end up uh, supporting uh, improvements at C.Y. Stevens and the arts in general at Iowa State. I question this, and what it appears to me is that... Quick, uh, Quickly, Jack, Pollard, we're coming up on a
1: break, please. Quickly, please, with your question. Thank
3: uh, I, I need to hear more about how C Y Stevens, one of the jewels of the Midwest, is going to be supported uh, and improved in the near term.
1: Jack in Des Moines, thank you very much. About a minute before our break, President Winterstein.
2: Certainly, Jack. Thank you for your comment and for your question as well. Uh, so, so. CY Stevens, the Arts, the SHEMAN facility are all part of the plans for the Sci-Town development. And in fact, there is a, a revenue stream once the Sci-Town development is completed that would flow to support uh, those facilities. And while it will take time to generate those funds, that is in fact where the profit that will be generated will go to support. But in the interim, I will tell you that actions have already been taken to support CY Stevens. I was so pleased to see that a million dollars have already been spent by the athletics department put in renovated restrooms in C.Y. Stevens, and new carpeting as well. So we're already seeing improvements being made to, as you said, that jewel of a wonderful performance facility. We'll be back. Thank you so much for the question, Jack.
1: Thank you, Jack. President Winterstein will be back after a short break. It's River to River from IPR News.
0: Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at CorridorVein and CorridorAesthetics.com. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at UpstreamFM.com.
1: Thank you for joining us midstream on this edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Um, the next 15-20 um, minutes, we have President Winterstein of Iowa State University uh, with us, uh, answering your questions, 1-866-780-9100, one 780 9100 or email us, River at iowapublicradio.org. President Winterstein, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about academic freedom and and the balance that needs to be struck there on campuses. Help us understand that. How do you strike a balance, what's your thinking here, uh, between creating a welcoming and diverse campus and also allowing and encouraging debate over issues that could be seen as divisive?
2: Well, academic freedom is really the cornerstone of higher education across the United States. And I think that is really the key point. Uh, It's how we build a strong university environment and culture. And in the classroom, it gives us the opportunity for students to hear a diverse and multiple perspectives throughout their education. And in fact, at Iowa State University, we actually have a syllabus statement that is all about academic freedom and free expression. And it's in every syllabus statement for every course at Iowa State University. And it it states that we uphold the First Amendment, but also the principle of academic freedom to foster a learning environment where open inquiry and vigorous debate and diversity of ideas are encouraged. And so we asked every student to read that statement and understand that. Uh, regardless of what course uh, they're taking at Iowa State. And so that's the foundation. That's how they go. And, of course, we expect faculty to be sure that the topics being discussed in the classroom are germane to what the uh, the, the topic is for that. What is the, what is the uh, topic of that class? Mm-hmm.
1: Is there an, a recent example you can call to mind where um, academic freedom, because it's, it can be a very gray area, of striking that balance, where you've had to think about um, what is what is right, the right course of action here? Uh,
2: you know, we've had some examples in the past where uh, a faculty um, member um, might have uh, brought in a topic that was not germane uh, to the course that they were teaching, uh, but, but I have a hard time thinking of one right now uh, to bring up.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, this past summer, um, in a historic decision, the U.S. Supreme Court effectively ended race-conscious admission programs at colleges and university. Uh, universities across the country. And this ends the abilities of colleges and universities to consider race as one of many factors in deciding uh, which of your qualified applicants are to be admitted. What has this meant for ISU?
2: Well, because we have the Regents Admission Index Uh, for students at Iowa State University. It has really had very limited impact at Iowa State. I would say virtually no impact at Iowa State. So we've never considered race for undergraduate admission.
1: Mm -hmm. How does, uh, with with the goal of having a diverse student body, how does a a diverse student body benefit uh, students, also white students in the majority at ISU?
2: Well, we've always been, again, proud at Iowa State University that we've welcomed everybody. Uh, Back to some of my earlier comments uh, that we welcome everyone, students from all across the United States, students from rural areas, students from inner cities, students from 114 different countries. So it is about that diversity that students grow and learn from each other. They make friends from many different communities. Uh, And they celebrate that diversity in so many different ways at Mm. Iowa State.
1: Tomorrow on this program, we'll be focusing on mitigating climate change the entire hour. President Winterstein with the latest uh, uh, climate assessment uh, here in Iowa. Um, and, And a focus on really on how ramping up solar power in the state could really help. Now, last month, Iowa State University and Alliant Energy celebrated the completion of a solar farm, Uh, I believe this is located about uh, south of Ames, uh, about 10 acres. Uh, The new solar farm will contribute to the university's long-term sustainability goals, uh, and the Alliant Energy's transition to renewable energy. And I understand, President Winterstein, what's unique here is that this is the first of its kind agrivoltaics research uh, conducted. Uh, in the state of Iowa. Agrivoltaics, something we're not very familiar with, most of us anyway. This is land used for energy production and agriculture simultaneously. Uh, there is a $1.8 million grant from the U.S. Department of Energy, and ISU researchers will raise, understand bees, and plant some vegetables, fruits, create a, a pollinator habitat there. Um, the researchers uh, begin planting the solar farm this fall, um, uh, and they will study it for years to come. Um, energy generation, the effect on horticultural crops and beekeeping. How important is this research project? Uh, your observations here, especially considering that—well, uh, well just your, your general observations about, the, about this one-of-a-kind research first
2: is a wonderful project i was out there on a cold and windy day when we cut the ribbon mm-hmm. uh, uh, to dedicate this facility uh, and the team of researchers at iowa state were there uh, along with our friends at alliant energy and and it is it is a model a model uh, uh, really for other states other locations and Iowa to be thinking about and the outcome of this research will guide others in what might be possible. Uh, and so, really proud of the faculty that are engaged, their creativity uh, to think what could be done here. I, I was especially happy to hear that they're planning things, uh, some of my favorite things, raspberries and strawberries.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, so, it's, it's going to be a great project uh, for years to come. Uh, so, really, really happy. So it's not just research, but it's also the opportunity for our extension programs to be taking this out in the state and to be sharing uh, with other uh, communities and how they might want to do something like this as well.
1: Yeah. How important is this, especially considering that one argument that's uh, used against using land uh, for traditional solar farms is that it it takes them out of crop production? Here we can have both
2: exactly and and it it's the opportunity to learn how to do that so that's what research does it gives us the knowledge that we can say to others this is the lessons we've learned it worked well here with this particular crop it didn't work well here Mm -hmm. and so we're going to be able to share that data we're going to learn and others will be able to uh, benefit from the knowledge gained it's the old land grant university story. Yeah, you do research and you take it out to the country. It's science with practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that uh, according to our experts, we'll have tomorrow in the climate assessment. They're uh, really talking up solar energy and that Iowa could really expand that. Um, one of the one of the facts we'll talk about or uh, tomorrow is that it's so efficient that. Uh, Uh, solar energy can produce 100 times more energy per acre than ethanol. Uh, uh, What are the implications there that you see when we can take an acre and and turn it into a solar farm, perhaps one of these unique new uh, agrovoltaic solar farms, and put it to better energy production than we do now currently with corn and ethanol?
2: You know, I think we're going to need a combination of all sorts of energy, uh, we won't be able to uh, probably fly an airplane with solar energy. Uh, so I think we're going to need liquid fuel for lots of different reasons going forward. So it really is having a portfolio hmm. of energy sources into the future.
1: A few more minutes with President Wendy Winterstein of Iowa State University, one 780 9100 or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org. A couple of months ago, a Gallup poll was released uh, revealing confidence in higher education has plummeted, especially among Republicans. Uh, I wonder, what do you see in the dramatic slide in confidence in higher education? I'm sure you've talked about this in in meetings, haven't you?
2: Well, Well, who I talk to are the parents of our students. And when I talk to our parents, I don't hear that story. And so uh, we can look at national Gallup polls and we can look about uh, a conversation about higher education nationally. When I talk to the parents of our students, what they tell me is how much they love what we're doing here at Iowa State University. They tell me that their students are learning in the classroom, that they're engaged outside of the classroom and learning about how leadership is important and. Uh, in growing as an adult, learning to work with others, learning how to collaborate, and most importantly, they're getting a job when they graduate. 95.5% of our students have a job or are in graduate school, veterinary medicine, medical school, within six months of graduation. And that's what parents are telling me. And so I think sometimes it's important to bring it home. You can look at Gallup polls, but I think you have to talk to your customers. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do at Iowa State.
1: Do you do you see the difference there too that the poll brought out that the, the doubts and differences uh from the 2015 Gallup poll and the 2025 2023 20, Gallup poll excuse me when you do have these discussions that the doubts and differences are strongest among republicans with just 19% expressing a great deal or a lot of confidence in higher ed today do you see that breaking down in along party lines um from what you can tell in discussions? Why should that be? I
2: just don't see it. Again, I think the important thing uh, to consider uh, as a president of a great land grant university like Iowa State University is to talk to your customers, talk to potential students. What is it that they need? Talk to the employers of our students. What is it that they need in the employees that they're gonna be hiring? and when you're connected to your customers, when you're connected to whether they're your students or the employers of those graduates, I think that's how you stay relevant. I think that's how you can continue to be successful.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about tuition before our time gets away from us, President Winterstein. We know that there's a there's a direct relationship between the percentage of state funding that accounts for university budgets and their your ability uh, to keep tuition at affordable levels. As state funding has declined as a percentage of your budget, how has that impacted tuition at Iowa State University?
2: Well, it certainly has uh, caused us to raise tuition, Uh, and I don't think any president wants to raise tuition. Uh, But we need to be able to balance our budget and to keep pace with the rate of inflation, Uh, So we need to have proper levels of tuition and state support to be able to have a budget that runs this university. And when you look around at the uh, public universities in the Midwest or even nationally, uh, we are a great buy at Iowa State University. So we are on the low end of tuition uh, for uh, great public universities And so we're proud of what our tuition rate is, actually. Wish it could be lower. Uh, It'd be great if we could have a a bigger investment from the state. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Um, The the new legislative session, just a a couple months away. What are you anticipating in this session regarding tuition? Uh, And how will you make the case for more state spending on higher education?
2: Your first question, uh, related to tuition, will really be a decision that the Board of Regents will make uh, in the spring, uh, and, I, and I really don't know how that discussion will go at this time. But we'll go into the legislative session uh, requesting for Iowa State uh, University uh, two requests, uh, $4.5 million to increase our general operating appropriation. It's really quite critical. Uh, it will help us with uh, additional competitive student financial aid. It will help us to provide competitive compensation to retain our world-class faculty and staff. It's important. Uh, we're competing for the best talent on a national uh, level and, and, of course, to address our growing financial challenges uh, that are due to inflation that we're all, all experiencing. And we'll also ask for additional funding uh, for an investment uh, in the programs that uh, relate to the STEM workforce and innovation, uh, also how we work with rural manufacturers and communities uh, across rural Iowa. Mm-hmm. So those will be the two uh, requests we make. So we'll be asking for the $4.5 million for general appropriations and another $10 million of investment in STEM workforce and innovation.
1: In your discussions with GOP lawmakers in the state, are they open to those uh, requests? Um, uh, they see those in a positive way?
2: We have good conversations with our uh, state legislators. Uh, they're, they're always willing to hear our requests, but of course, until they can get into the work of the legislature, it's hard for them to know how many resources they'll have available to allocate.
1: Mm-hmm. President Winterstein, I understand later today you'll be part of a ceremony at the, at the Gold Star Hall and uh, today uh, honoring three ISU students, uh, veterans, who were killed while serving in World War II, in Korea, also in Vietnam. Um, I'll just name these um, inductees, uh, honorees. Uh, Army Captain Thomas Henry Delamore, an Ames graduate, served in World War II, died aboard a Japanese prisoner of warship. Marine Captain Alfred Hiram Agin, born in Sheraton, received his bachelor's degree in engineering at ISU, served in World War II in Korea, and Army First Lieutenant James Lee Miller, born in McCookada, died from shrapnel wounds in Vietnam. I-, I wondered, tell us a little bit more about this tradition in the final minute or two here and, and uh, uh, what you think is special about it. Ben,
2: thank you. Thank you for saying those names. Uh, this year marks the 20th anniversary of this ceremony It's an annual opportunity for reflection and reverence for the service and sacrifice made by our fellow Iowa staters. Um, The Gold Star Hall stands as a living memorial to nearly 600 Iowa staters who died serving in World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Somalia, and the global war on terrorism. And we are all deeply indebted to those who answered the call. So Ben, thank you so much. That was a lovely way. Uh, to end our conversation, I
1: think. President Winterstein, we wish you well at that ceremony this afternoon at the Gold Star Hall, and thank you for making time for Iowa Public Radio listeners today. Ben, thank you. ISU President Wendy Winterstein, when we come back, we'll talk about aging anxiety. Is there such a thing? Of course there is. Uh, Do you have anxiety, anxiety about getting older? How do you reduce that anxiety? Well, Tell you how with some new ISU research in just a moment. It's River to River from Iowa Public Radio News.
0: Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at UpstreamFM.com.
1: And we're back with more of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. This is an amazing statistic. Every day, roughly 10,000 people in the U.S. turn 65 years old. Do you have anxi- anxiety about getting older and uh, How do you reduce that anxiety if you do? This portion of the program, we explore some new research showing that having a positive attitude about physical activity is related to lower anxiety about aging. Sarah Francis is with us, a professor at Iowa State University, also the Jane Armstrong Endowed Chair of Food Science and Human Nutrition at ISU. Professor Francis, Sarah, if I may, welcome to the program. Before we, we get into this specific study, uh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about your background and uh, the areas that you focus on in your work in the area of health.
4: I um, am a healthy aging advocate, implementation scientist, and dietitian. I'm also an Extension State Specialist at Iowa State University, and my work really focuses on developing interventions and resources. To make um, to help older adults make those changes uh, that excite them and engage them in taking control of their health, so that they are able to live independently for as long as possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And so, a lot of my work focuses on assessing what their needs are and how they want to uh, learn about uh, those interve- learn about those strategies that can help them maintain their health.
1: In 2010, you joined the U.S. Department of Agriculture in a multi-state project. As I understand, it brought together experts in in physical activity, clinical nutrition, community health programming to support healthy aging. Uh, Let's edge into talking about aging anxiety. How did aging anxiety enter the picture in this uh, project?
4: Well, we were looking at what influences an older adult's um, nutrition choices and their physical activity choices. And what we are finding is when you look at the whole person, right, it's not just going to the store and picking healthy foods or just moving more. There's a lot that um, that affects our lives from the environment in which we're living, the stresses that we're experiencing on a day-to-day basis. And one of those stresses is anxiety about aging or aging anxiety. And so when we are looking at assessing the needs of the physical activity needs of um, adults 40 and older in our six, state in Washington, six states in Washington, D.C. areas, we realized that we needed to also assess their, um, how they are feeling about aging because that could adversely affect um, the outcomes that we are assessing.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so break it down a little bit, if you could, Sarah, the fears, the concerns that feed into aging anxiety. What is it made of?
4: So first, I need to clarify, I'm not a, a psychologist, and so um, I'm not an expert in the in aging anxiety. However, the tool that we use um, looks at age, aging anxiety in um, essentially four constructs, and those constructs are, you know, um, fear of loss like losing a loved one losing that source of income um those physical changing physical appearance that is associated with age Um, psychological concerns and those are personal and internal issues um, that that rise with aging and also a like um, a discomfort being around older adults Um, Even if you yourself is an older adult, I often say that in one of my studies, somebody's like, well, that's for the older people. That's not for me. And this Mm -hmm. individual is in her 80s. And so there's that negative perception of I don't want to, you know, associate with other older adults because that may make me feel um, not as active, not as healthy, not as vibrant as I want to be.
1: So you're saying the 80 year old who doesn't see him or herself. As an 80-year-old who doesn't want to associate with other older people, um, that's, that's not a good thing.
4: That's right. That is not a good thing. Socialization is a key component to healthy aging, and that socialization is for people across the lifespan. And so the, the research is very strong in that um, the, those who are aging and who, who are able to join social groups of peers – have better health outcomes than those who are unable to um, fulfill that socialization need.
1: Mm -hmm. Talk about the the survey in connection with this project. More than one survey, perhaps, right?
4: Oh, multiple surveys. And so um, this was an online uh, assessment. And so we selected uh, validated and reliable tools uh, to comprise this um, 142-question evaluation that we sent out. And the key to the reason why I'm stressing that it was validated and, and reliable is we want to make sure that the questions we are asking were actually get getting at the information that we wanted to get at,
0: mm-hmm. and that's
4: what we mean when we say validated. And so we are looking at their physical activity attitudes, um, their intention to be physically active, what they were currently doing uh, to meet those physical activity um, goals and objectives. Uh, we are also looking at their social demographic, different factors. Um, about that could potentially influence their physical activity rates. And part of that was that aging anxiety piece.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And there was a very specific result here that um, pointed out African-Americans. What did you Mm -hmm. reveal about this set?
4: So in our original study sample, we had um, 1,250 responses. And so when we were looking at that large data set, what we found is that um, African, those who were identifying as African-American actually reported a higher interest in um, attending health-related programs. And so the team of researchers, we, we were looking at that and we're like, well, why is that? Like, what is it specifically that may in um, engage um, African-Americans in, in taking part in these research-based um, interventions. And so our partners at um, the University of District of Columbia took the lead on this study, and we pulled out the—we the, had 178 respondents who identified as African-American. And so we ran data on those 178 responses to see—to um, explore how uh, their fears and concern about getting older— were linked to their physical activity, habits, and attitudes. And we looked at the different aspect of these um, age-related worries, such as how they feel about aging and how active they are.
1: Mm -hmm. And and what is the takeaway from the, the survey there?
4: Well, we discovered that people's attitudes towards physical activity were more influenced by their understanding of its pros and cons rather than simply whether they enjoyed it. Um, In other words, whether they thought that exercise was good or bad for them played a bigger role uh, in their attitude. And so what we also found is that when people enjoyed physical activity more, they were about 1.1 times um, less likely to have anxiety about aging. And so what that means is that having a positive attitude towards physical activity was actually linked to helping reduce their worries about getting older. And we also found that those who did more strengthening exercises like weightlifting or resistance training um, were 1.2 times less likely to worry about how their body looks as they get older. And so we are finding that staying active within this sample um, with strength training exercises made them more confident about their physical appearance uh, changes um, as they age.
1: Mm -hmm. So what's the message here for those of us um, 60 and above or perhaps even younger
4: I think the key message is that you're never too young or old to start any lifestyle practice that promotes health and well-being, and that includes physical activity, and that um, there's more benefits to it than just those physical benefits that we often think of. And so there's those physical, those mental, and those social benefits to staying active that help promote our overall well-being and having a more um, favorable perception of the aging process in general. And ultimately, that um, positive perception of aging can help mitigate our aging anxiety. And that's really important because the literature is very strong in showing that those who have anxiety about aging or those who um, are experiencing uh, feelings of ageism as they get older has um adverse effects on their, their health outcomes. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm interested in some of these questions and also perhaps questions that you have when you're in discussion with older Americans. For instance, Sarah, can you tell in a short discussion where someone is on this spectrum as far as a, a healthy, positive attitude toward uh, physical activity?
4: Unfortunately, no. So we used a Likert scale, or a Likert scale rather, um, from like one to seven. And so we were really gauging that like five, six, and seven, that those ranking is that positive at um, outlook uh, on physical activity. And so in our data analyses, we were able to trunk, to divide those up into those um, like low or high, but it was really just looking at those those. This is too technical, I think, but those median points, like where in the middle, mm-hmm. where we're seeing those scores, and being able to divide it based on that, and then that's how we were interpreting the outcomes that we were measuring.
1: Mm-hmm. And again, go into a little bit more about how these findings will be used. Um, mm-hmm. I, I assume in in messaging, and then specifically messaging <laughs> to, to African Americans.
4: Exactly. So it's not enough just to do a needs assessment and say, yep, we know what they need and how they want it and then do nothing with it. And so the multi-state group that I'm working with, we're really looking at developing interventions that are um, broad ranging, but that use those the messaging of, you know, it's more than just your body. Like we're looking at your your emotional health, your mental health, those um, to help um, communicate the broad um Benefits that are associated with being physically active. We're also looking at um, this particular study didn't look at it, but that larger one of that 1,250 responses. We found we identified those barriers to being physically active, and a big one is unsafe communities um, and unsafe not not necessarily violence, but unsafe sidewalks, mm. unsafe places to go um, exercise. And so, lo- really looking at interventions that help naturally mitigate those barriers such as developing a virtual uh, exercise program where they can just log into their computer and, and see and follow along with a research-based intervention that's shown to improve muscu- muscle strength um, that will lower their risk of age-related muscle loss and that therefore will help them remain in their home for as long as um, they can because they're able to um, take care of themselves and to be able to move around um, without uh, challenges. And we're also, part of this study was also looking at their their food habits. And so, again, um, combining those messages of, you know, it's just one small change can lead to big benefits and re- meeting them where they are at. And I think that's the most important thing with uh, needs-based work is that we are able to understand where our audience is coming from and what they need from us to help them, to support them in making a healthy lifestyle change. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Let's say, Sarah, there's um, people listening that are not, or older uh, people listening, of course, uh, but not as physically active as they, they would like to be. How do you attack that? How do you improve that and not just do it for a day or a week, because we're talking about creating new habits, aren't we?
4: exactly and to create a new habit takes time and i always tell um people that i'm working with pick one behavior change that you want to focus on and forget all the rest right if we try to change everything at one time we're never going to be successful so if you're not physically active at all right now maybe taking walking to the mailbox three times a day you know maybe that's only 10 minutes but it's 10 minutes more than you were doing and then once you get used to that stepping you know Finding a, uh, finding a free um, exercise video online. Our Spend Smart, Eat Smart website um, has a lot of at-home exercises uh, that are age-appropriate and um, are easy for new beginner uh, exercisers to do. But it's all about finding that one change that you, you're confident in being able to do and focusing on that and not trying to change everything at one time. It's not going to work. And those small successes is what will lead to you making bigger and bigger changes.
1: And we know, of course, exercising can be a lot more fun when you have a partner or partners to do it with.
4: Absolutely. Finding those connections, finding that neighbor or a friend who will meet you at a gym. If you're wanting to go to a gym, if you just want to go for a walk, finding a neighbor who has a pet who actually needs to take them for a walk <laughs> and walking right. with them. Um that brings up another point. If you if you're wanting a pet, get a dog, and then you definitely have to take them out for those <laughs> walks. And so, um, and w- another thing is if you have grandchildren or nieces or nephews or neighborhood kids playing. I mean, playing is a form of physical activity, and oftentimes it's much more enjoyable than thinking about doing a set workout at a gym.
1: Yeah, you've been studying this for many years, um, uh, Sarah. What what are the trends? The general trends you've seen over the years in terms of healthy physical activity and uh, seniors in our state and our country
4: I think <clears throat> again my area is not specifically physical activity but what I'm seeing is we're moving away from that thought of exercise that structured um, structured activity for a set amount of time and really moving towards any activity is good for the body and I think that's a really important message that we're trying to get out to the community because you um, a lot of times older adults have limited incomes if they're thinking about exercise in this very structured manner where they have to go to a gym or a community center and, and they don't have the finances to do that. They think, well, I can't do it. So therefore, you know, I'm not going to be physically active. But this new messaging of 10 minutes, three times a day it is is healthy and it gets you moving and it has health benefits Is has been a really important shift in my opinion
1: mm-hmm. and sarah um, at the end here would you mind sharing your favorite physical activities
4: <clears throat> well it's always been swimming and running but most recently i've discovered boot camp which is high intensity um, interval training yes but i'll tell you what i love about that it's not so much the workout I, I, i'm always sore after them but it's the socialization that I get in that. My swimming and running was always very independent. But as I'm getting older, I'm in my um, study group age range. I, I really enjoy that socialization aspect.
1: Okay, Professor Sarah Francis of Iowa State University, a healthy aging advocate uh, and a registered dietitian and scientist. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: Tomorrow on the program, I'll talk with scientists involved with a recently released assessment of Iowa's climate. Uh, we'll also explore the rise of agrivoltaics using land for energy production and agriculture at the same time. Today's program produced by Katherine Perkins and Caitlin Troutman, with help from Danny Gear. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.